Well, good, good morning. We were a little fewer this morning. Men are up on the, the mountain. I think next year we need to have a, a little more prayer for our vehicles, that being the ones who... <laughs> Bob is laughing because Bob is in the middle of it. <laughs> so we had several casualties in terms of vehicles, not, not men, okay? So they're all okay, okay? <laughs> Everybody's fine. Um, but I, I hear that Chance and Franklin both had some problems, and I ran out of transmission fluid just as I got up the mountain, and so, uh, yeah, so check your transmission fluid before you leave. <laughs> it was at 290, that's not good, I know Bob. Bob's, Bob has told me, he said, some oil is better than no oil. Clean oil is better than dirty oil, but you need oil. <laughs> so, so that uh, that was kind of the basic bottom line message that I should have taken. You need more oil, that's for sure. Um, we are in Mark chapter nine, and if you're following along, verses thirty through thirty-seven. And as we travel through this, um, just just see that this is really. A, uh, a shift in Jesus' ministry right as we get into this. Um, he is now going to Jerusalem, and uh, he's going to Jerusalem for, with a purpose. And a lot of times I'll ask people, I'll be sharing with them, I'll say, you know why Jesus came? And a lot of times they'll say, you know, to, to feed people, to heal people, to teach people. And all of those things are absolutely true. They are. But he still teaches us today. He still feeds us today. He provides for us. And he still does miracles today. But what he came to do in Jerusalem was one thing he had to do as a human being to pay for you and I's sin. And so he is on mission to get to Jerusalem because he knows unless he gets up on the cross, you and I have no chance whatsoever. So this is a beautiful trip, but it is a solemn trip that Jesus is going to try to teach his disciples some final lessons as he is going to depart. So we're looking at it. one of the main passages, just the verse that I want you to kind of lock in on, Mark 9, 36. He took a little child whom he placed among them and taking the child in his arms. And uh, so this is just a little bit of a commercial break because uh, I have the opportunity. Where is LaDonna right now? Not to point her out or anything. There, she's in the very back. Okay, so here we are. Bear with me, Okay. That's not going to work, is it? Okay, so let's try this one. If it skips two, we're in big trouble. It does. Will, you're now in control, or Tanya, one of the... Who are those young people? Sometimes you don't know who's in your arms. You really don't. So, yeah, we were young once, and so there we are uh, as we were first married. And uh, as we are celebrating our 30th anniversary very soon... So 30 years in holding, that's the idea. And look at her, her smile. And one more. 30 wonderful years. So pretty cool. So yeah, we were, we were young ones. My kids are like, Dad, you have shorts on. What's, what's going on? <laughs> there was a time when actually that worked. So, so uh, as, you, as you can be praying for us, we are in a transition, obviously, because we are, uh, as we're getting older, we have kids going off to two boys in Florida, and uh, we have girls who are here at Sheridan, and, and they're, uh, they're going to be off 
the Garnell campus. And so uh, pray for us that way. Pray for, pray for uh, protection. Pray for God's will in our lives. As pastors, try as uh, a, a young man who's now going to be entering high school, right? Nope, eighth grade. Eighth grade, eighth grade. And as our kids get older, more challenges, more stuff, more good things going. Yeah, eighth grade. Um, and as we transition through those things, there are challenges in our lives that we, we, uh, that we run into, not just for us pastors, but also for leadership and just a protection over our church in that way. So onward, that was, a little, that was a little bit of an aside, but she deserves it. She's put up with me for 30 years. So the goat debate, and, I, and I'm not going to argue about who the goat is in any of these areas because I'm sure you have your goat or whatever it is, but the greatest of all time debate continues. And if it's in everything, it could, be in, it could be in chess for that matter. And so you have these different areas of being uh, you know, in debate of who is the, really the greatest of all times. As we look at this passage today, that's a really major theme of it. Not only is it holding a child, but it's about who is the greatest and what is the greatness measure. Now, what, what we measure by, would it be points? Would it be championships? Would it be rings? What, what do, how do we measure greatness in the kingdom? How do you measure greatness in the kingdom? What to you is your measure of how great someone will be in the kingdom? It's a really good question because guess what? If you belong to Christ someday... You're going to be there. And to have an idea of what God holds is his, his kind of what he values is will direct our lives. And so we, we see this as kind of a, uh, a way for us to evaluate not only just um, what it means in other people's lives, but also for us as well. So uh, here we go. We're going to move into Mark 9.30, and I'm going to, I'm going to have some, some prerogative of changing slides as we go through at my own pace. They left that place. So what they, they're, moving, they're moving from the northeast, and they're going to swing from Galilee, and they're going to swing down. They're going to swing down. They're going to swing down, and they're going to go to Capernaum. And that's a very short period of time where Jesus is going to teach them some lessons about children and whatnot. And then from there, they're going to head down south towards Jerusalem. They are on the march, and they're on a road during this little, uh, little interlude here. And Jesus has a lesson for them as they do. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Whoa, whoa, let me flip forward. Okay, there. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So Jesus has this plan to teach his disciples, and part of the plan was sovereignly orchestrated through their selfishness. And so they're on the road to Capernaum, and guess what the topic comes up to be? 
We see it in the sports world all the time. Who's the great? Is it Jordan or is it LeBron? Give me a right hand for Jordan, left for LeBron. Let's get this going. Okay, Jordan or LeBron. Right? And the debate, debate is like, well, there's, okay, there's this thing going on. And some of you don't care whether because it's sports and who cares anyway because 10 years from now it will be totally different. I get that. The disciples were arguing not about sports. They were arguing about what? Themselves. And what had just transpired before this that Pastor Tri talked about, where they went up on a big altitudinal incline, and it was the Mount of what? Transfiguration. And on that Mount of Transfiguration, who was there? Which disciples? The PJs, right? Not all 12 of them, just the three of them. And we don't know exactly who was arguing about who and who was the greatest, but that might have sparked a little bit of jealousy. I'm just saying from a human standpoint, you know, like, hey, we got to see the transfiguration. I mean, wow, we must be in the inner circle and da-da-da. So you can kind of see maybe some of the chemistry behind this discussion, but in no certain terms. They were arguing about who was the greatest of them. And so Jesus... Knowing this, he, oh, Jesus knows everything, right? I mean, it's kind of like, like in the garden with Adam and Eve. God addresses them and almost like, hey, you know, hey, what's going on? And they're like, well, this happened. And did he see the whole apple thing happen? I mean, you, at the end of it, you realize, okay, God knows what happened. He knows who took the bite. The, the husband tries to pass it off on the wife. And he's like, okay, I'm, I'm all over this. Jesus knows what occurred on that road when they, were, when they were arguing. He knows already. And he's going to take this opportunity to teach them about greatness and to recalibrate their greatness measures because they were measuring themselves on their own criteria that they had made, made up by themselves. And maybe they had learned that uh, because in the Judeo uh, mindset, position was very, very important. To the right side of the, the main person meant something. To the left side meant something. Much different than our, in our world. Position had more clout than it even does now today. Even though I would argue, yeah, still there. So who's the greatest is kind of a hot topic in that area because that is really what they were kind of all about. You get the patriarch and he's on top. And there's this whole step, step to a ladder. And you realize at the very bottom of that ladder... Jesus is going to bring up the people who would be on the Judeo lowest level of clout status, and he's going to say, bring a child to me. And that's what he did in this passage. And so it's all about who matters and the greatness part and recalibrating what they're thinking about this whole thing. Things were different back then. Children were vulnerable, they were dependent upon, and they, they still are today. They're dependent on someone else to care for them. And, um, and Jesus, in Jesus' day, children definitely had really no rights. They really were, you know, that the old saying, they're to be seen and not heard, you know. And that's kind of more true then than it probably shouldn't be today either. It shouldn't be that way, but that is something that was true of that time. So we, we come to this with a cultural kind of, maybe a little bit of an understanding of, hey, Jesus was really picking out the persons, the people who would be most vulnerable, who would need most, uh, who needed to be protected and washed over. So they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. So his, his mission was to get alone with them 
and to have a, have a walk with him. And so whether you're on the mountain walking up to Lake Geneva or whatever it is, there was a little bit of Jesus wanted to have an opportunity to get with them before he was going to face the crucifixion. And Jesus is, the word passion in, in the Aramaic, it's patty, which means suffering or enduring. And so Jesus is going to endure, and he's told them already, it's not like it's new news. He's told them already, I will be, I will be killed. And so as he, he tries to explain this to them, and, and they're arguing at the very same time about who's the greatest, you can just see the irony of that. Like Jesus is, is like, I am God in the flesh, and I am going to go to the cross. And they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in this kingdom. And that, so there's a disconnect there. Because he was teaching his disciples, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. Why do you think they might be afraid to ask him about it? Any ideas? Why would they be afraid to ask him about it? Ah, they really didn't think it was true yet. It hadn't, it hadn't sink in yet necessarily, and so they didn't really get the whole thing, and so they're, they're a little bit afraid, and so you see this thing going on, and so Jesus is, is kind of trying to explain to them, but they really were so kind of maybe shell-shocked, still even knowing that, that they, they didn't get it, and they wouldn't be able to ask questions. They came to Capernaum when he was in the house. He asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. We don't know whose house this was in Capernaum. It could have been one of the disciples or the apostles. We do know that Jesus pulls a, a boy or a child close to him later on. And so this house was maybe someone who he knew. Um, he would have known that child, possibly Peter. We don't know exactly. Some of the history is not there. But we do, what we do know is he was in the house. He was in private. He had this conversation with his disciples. And he's like... What were you talking about? Now, Jesus already knows what they were talking about, right? Correct? Why does he ask a question that he already knows the answer to? Ah, he wants them to, to think about it. A little self-evaluation, right? Is that good? Yeah, we ask you to do that, especially on communion Sundays. That's one of the things that, as those elements are being passed out, we're asking you to kind of evaluate your life. And it's not necessarily just isolated to communion, but truly, even every time you hear God's word, as you open it up or you're here on Sunday morning, we ask you to kind of evaluate your lives as we do too. And so as we seek Jesus asking this question, this is his strategy to get them to think about what is it that we were doing? Luke eleven forty three kind of is in tandem uh, with this. Jesus talks about status and the essence of status and what it is and what it isn't. And in Luke, he says, Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. And what he's saying to them, whenever he says woe, he means woe. He, that was not a term of endearment. He was like, you backbiting you know, snakes or whatever it was, the den of vipers. He was saying to them, you are way off course. You do not have the standard set. You do not know what greatness really is. And what he's saying here is, is you enjoy all of these accolades about sitting in the right seat and being the right person. We see that today, don't we? Oh, yeah. 
We're not isolated at all. We can see that where there are certain things and, and positions and, and whatnot that are higher than others. And, and sometimes we gravitate towards those things as human beings because of the way that we, we have a sinful nature inside of us. And so do we seek power, prestige, and possessions and all those things? Absolutely, our humanness does that. But it, that is not how the kingdom works. And Jesus is contrasting this world and the kingdom world, which are two they're working at the same exact time, but he wants them to see the kingdom world very, very sharply because they have the other world in front of them. They grew up in that. They would understand that. So Jesus sits down. This is important. Sitting down means something, okay? So it's not just there for nothing. It's there for a purpose. And sitting down was a place where the, the teacher would do. He would sit. And so he's kind of putting him in a himself in a position. Now he's like, I've asked you now a question. Now I'm going to teach you something. So Jesus allows himself to be surrounded. Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Now, if you heard that for the very first time and you hadn't read the Bible a hundred times, what would that make you think when Jesus says, anyone who wants to be first must be very last? Would it, it, would it be confusing to you? It might be. It might be. He's like, well, they're like, man, in this Judeo culture, that's exactly what it's all about. It's like, I want to be the patriarch of my family someday. Father Abraham, as he had many descendants, was the most important guy. But when Father Abraham passed on, who became the most important guy? The next person on that list. And so they would have a very keen understanding of position. And so Jesus is telling them, telling his, his, his men, hey, you know what? This is a different thing. This, this kingdom thing is an upside-down thing. To be first, you have to be last, okay? And if you want to have power and prestige here, guess what? Not in the kingdom. It doesn't work that way. And so the lowest are the highest, and up is down. And Jesus is trying to teach the disciples this because once he leaves, he wants them to understand that he has taken that course, came down from heaven, can you imagine being Jesus having to come down here on planet Earth? Mitch was telling me that it was like 115 degrees going through, on his trip, and the air conditioner quit, and all of this stuff going on, and coming back from a very difficult thing. And, you know, we, we endure some things that are really, really tough, and having a family loss, and having all of those things, and you realize there are seasons of life that are just super, super terrible down here. Jesus was in heaven from the beginning, which is, there is none, of time. He has always existed. And he came down here for a very short period of time, 33 years, and he dealt with way more, way more discomfort and difficulty than we will ever experience. He willingly went to the cross. And so as he is teaching his disciples, he's, he's really teaching this upside-down thing. What he's saying is this, I was up. And now I'm going to become the servant of you all. And that Thursday night when he washed their feet, that was the point where he said, this is what people do in the kingdom. This is greatness. And greatness doesn't look like maybe a sports thing or whatever. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Do you get this? 
want you to just think about it. Read it again. Sometimes we don't know who we hold. True. Sometimes we don't know who we hold. Who is it that you're serving? Who is it that you're interacting with? Ah, thank you. Yeah. My transmission went out. It didn't go out, but it was, it was on the verge of it, and I got back, and so Keegan and I are like... Man, this is a bummer, but God has a purpose in this. And so, you know, great, just this great trip up with Keegan. If you're ever in the truck with Keegan, I, I just encourage you to take a drive with Keegan, but check your transmission fluid before you do. And, but he came back, and just such a cool thing. He called me the next day. I was, uh, there was a person who I connected with with my job as a therapist who called me and, and wanted me to kind of help someone who was in a very tough situation. And so what I was, right as I was coming out of this this room with this person, I saw Kagan called, and I called him, and I said, hey, man, I, I, I think I know why we're supposed to come back down the mountain, and we didn't make it up there. I said, I've, I said, I had this amazing conversation with this guy who's basically detained and whatever, and he goes, oh, no, no, I, me first, kind of a thing. You know, he's like, no, he's so, he's so, you know, he's so excited, and he did listen, but, but we just shared with each other how God had allowed us to have interactions with people who we wouldn't have otherwise had interactions with. And they were just these, it was being ministered by being, by being a minister. That's, that's kind of what I'd say, just like, wow, that was cool. And thinking about this message as I was, I was like, God, you were so sovereign. That you would line up this interaction with this guy who had nothing. He's stuck here and he's got to, and he, all he wanted to do is repent to, to another person out of James. He wanted to repent. So we repented. We cried a little bit and got... God, at the end of it, prayed for him, and he prayed, he prayed for me as well. And I thought, he held me, and I held him. Keegan got to hold someone too, which is really super cool. And the men up on the mountain, they got to hold people too. Pastor Try got to hold two people's hands and join them. We are so blessed to be connected to the king because in the world of the kingdom, it's upside down. An ordinary day or weekend can be an amazing day and weekend in the kingdom. And so he took this little child's hand, and as he placed him among him, he said some things that were very life-changing, and they should be for us too. Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Now he's moved it to a whole nother level. He's like, okay, you know what? The person who ministered to me and I ministered to him, that was like us ministering to Jesus, both of us. But not just Jesus, but who? Yeah. And so he takes it to a brand new level. It's like, this kingdom thing is so different. You, you need another refreshing course on this. And, and we do. We need to be reminded of this almost constantly because it is so different than the world we live in. And so we, uh, Mark, let me go back with that. Mark 10, 43 through 45. This, so this is a chapter down the line. So I know I'm stealing from my head, but it, they're in congruence with whoever wants to become great. He's like teaching them again. It's like he, in Mark 9, he teaches them, and then he's like, I'm just going to review this again in case you guys missed that whole child thing. He says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. 
And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, boy, that title has a lot of power to it. I'm going to go into it, but a lot of power, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that says he's teaching them, I'm going to the cross. He's, there's going to be a ransom, and it's for you and it's for me. That's the ransom. And it's paid in full if we are in Christ and so we see this first is last and last is first and this whole idea of who is the greatest in the kingdom and Jesus is teaching us and teaching them at the same time. Um, and as Jesus came down, he became this perfect example of someone who is the highest. You can't get any higher than God, okay? If you, if you have someone higher than God, you have a problem because you have an idol in your hands. And so Jesus becomes the very servant of all. He served you. I hope he served you. He served you. He served me. I became his bond slave willingly, lovingly, graciously at age 19. And that changed my whole life. And so that's my intention for my whole life is to to serve him. And you, you, at the same time, I'm encouraging you to do the same thing. But measure your greatness not by the world. Measure your greatness by what Jesus said greatness is. And it has a little different ring to it than the world. It's not about being better. It's not about being important. It's about encouraging others, building up others, meeting their needs as they meet your needs. It's about service, humility, faithfulness, love of others. It's about welcoming a child, not a beautiful blonde child who's 22 years old, but a child who you may not recognize when they show up. It may be someone at your work. It may be someone who's on the street at Walmart, at Walmart, waiting in the same line that you wait in. It may be someone who's in a hot vehicle beside you, traveling through Nevada, and yet you serve one another because we are, we are in the business of serving Jesus. And children look different. They have different shapes and sizes. What child will you meet this week that you will treat differently because the kingdom is upside down? It's okay to be motivated that way, to know that Jesus actually has sent people to interrupt our schedules and what we do and to to be involved in their lives so that his people can be his hands and his feet and sometimes just cry with each other and meet each other's needs or fix someone's vehicle so they can get off the mountain or to come alongside when there's something that you're suffering and that you're just going through. Really important. Mark 9, 41. This is five verses after. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose the reward. Is that, is that affirming to you? The things that you do because you belong to Jesus and you serve others as you're serving Jesus, he is the perfect, the perfect accountant. He's like, I'm going to bless you because of that. It may not be right now. It may be later. But I'm going to bless you. I am keeping track of all of that stuff. We serve him out of love. Last week after church, that was last week. That was, a whole, that was just one week ago. Wait a minute. Okay. So yeah, last week, Sunday, had a chance to visit with someone who didn't know Jesus, and, didn't, and, and where he was was he was stuck in his works, okay? So that's where he was. I asked him, you know, why should God let you into heaven? And he said, I like to help people. 
I like to, to do things to serve people, is what he was trying to say in non-Christian lingo, which is beautiful. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's, that's what you're trusting in to get to heaven. I said, you and I are not too far apart. There was a time when I thought that's what it was all about. You, you do good works, you, you try to weigh that out, and so your good works outweigh your bad works, you get to go to heaven, bingo, right? You pull the, pull the handle. Nope. The kingdom is upside down everywhere. And in the way that we get into the kingdom, to be into a relationship with Jesus is also upside down. It's not about us earning it. It's the, this gentleman, as I explained it to him, I said, has nothing to do with you earning it. it, has everything to do with what he did on the cross what he came here to do and accomplish on the cross. And after we had a, about an hour, an hour and a half discussion, he was just, you could just see his shoulders were light, just like mine were, just like yours was at one point in time, hopefully. And I just, I had this, I said, you know, your desire to serve other people is so valuable, so valuable. So use that, but don't use it to try to earn your salvation. Use it to bless others and to be Jesus' hands and feet. And every person you serve, you serve Jesus. What a freeing thing that is for us to understand, to know that what we do for Jesus' sake and for other people is the exact same thing. They are exactly the same thing. And what a powerful testimony that is to a world that needs so much to see the love of God in very practical ways. Let me close with this. Matthew 25, if I can read this. I might have to read it over here. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you, lo- you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the one of these least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The kingdom is upside down. This week, who will you hold? Who will you serve with the motive of serving Jesus? Not to be patted back on the back and that sort of thing, but to really serve them and genuinely that they might understand how much God loves them because you love them and you showed that to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this encouragement of what it is that makes us great in your kingdom. And what we mean by that is our relationship with you grows and grows and grows. And Lord, we just ask that you would empower us to see and to uh, maybe realize with new eyes what it means to have a relationship with you. And as we walk that relationship out on a daily basis, that we would, we would see opportunities to minister to people in a different way, whether it's through our job, or people we meet on the street, just the goings-on of life, that we would have the mindset to bless people because we want to bless you. We want to serve you. You really don't need us to serve you. You need us to serve people. And that's what you've called us to. And I ask that we would see with brand new eyes the children around us. And I mean those people who, who are maybe not the most status um, high, 
but possibly the person who you've put in our lives or in our oikos and a group of people who you've just connected us with who will um, be blessed by coming to know you through our relationship with you as well. And we just ask that your Holy Spirit would work in that way in a powerful way. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.